It's another episode of your favorite podcast, the Spine Crackers Podcast. I am one third of your host, Matthew Torpy. Welcome. You just doxed yourself. <laughs> I'm Matt, that's I'm, like I'm fully Twitter doxed online. That's I don't Matt's care. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Your no Twitter name is your full name. Closet. Never mind. I have nothing yeah. to hide. Radical transparency. Nothing to hide. I, lo- I love that for you. I love that for you. Uh, I'm I'm Gabe. Mystery. <laughs> I'm Paul Mystery. We have the same last name. Wow, yeah. the Koi brothers. Mm-hmm. Why don't you jump into a Koi pond? <laughs> People could probably find me online if they wanted to. If you to. subscribe it's, to it's our Patreon, my my last name has been blatantly spurred out. Is that I'm true? a public figure. Yeah, yeah, you are a public figure. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt's basically a politician. I can be just torched at any given moment. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, yeah, as we said, this is the Spinecrackers podcast again. Yeah. Uh, and, thank uh, you for joining us to, uh, for, to not tonight. Time is not an issue for anybody. For yeah. 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 It is for tonight instance. for me. And I got to say, it's a beautiful evening. It's like the first real nice day we've had here in, in, a, oh, in, well. a, in a while. The clocks are jumped forward and the, and the, and the, the, the temperature is rising. Yeah. The light, the light is longer. Mm-hmm. You know, my brother doesn't follow, um, Daylight savings time. <laughs> I, you can't. It, he like. You can't. You just, just can't not. You can't just choose not to do it. I I get that it's stupid, but it, it, you can't just. He doesn't not. set his clocks back or anything. He just like. In Does he also just like go to his job an hour late or early? Yeah. Depending? I don't it's think chill. his job is really unique, and I don't think I think his boss might not follow it either. There's like some <laughs> sort of understanding. <laughs> it's really. I don't want to get into it, but it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, a true thing. I'm here for it. I, I like. I know there's all kinds of debates about this that I don't understand at all. And if there's any daylight savings time podcasts out there, <laughs> you can feel free to uh, pop on for a correction segment. Yeah, please. But uh, it seems just absolutely stupid to me. I mean, I think it, it was. I I I read. I've, I've looked up. This is one of those fucking factoids that you. I've looked up like a dozen times, and it just never sticks. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's so many of those. It's most of the factoids that <laughs> and facts in my life are just. Water off a duck's back. Yeah, true. Like, I know there's a reason, and I, when I looked it up, I was like, okay, that's like a semi-justifiable reason, and it kind of makes sense, but I completely forget what it is. Yeah, me too. I think it has something to do with Benjamin Franklin. I was going to say it had something to do with... No, no, no. I was just, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. No. I was seriously. I was going to say it. I think it had something to do with, like, farmers and almanacs or something. Yeah. But I don't fucking know. I don't know either. Um, listen, guys. Whatever. Listen, listen, guys. It's pretty much whatever. We're here for another purpose. And that is to discuss a book. And the book today is, who, <laughs> and then not it's, me has to say it. It is my pick. I picked Leviathan by Paul Oster. 
Leviathan. 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 Yes. Tarantula. That is the second Tarantula. book we've read on the pod. Did we read the? Did we do the first one on the podcast? Or uh-huh. we did. Yeah, yeah we, we did. It was like, like it must have been like our second episode or something. Yeah, Moon Palace. Yeah, it's super early. Um, but yeah, I like Paul Oster a lot. I really, I've, I've read the first book I read by him was City of Glass, which Gabe and I both love. I don't know if you've read that, Matt. I haven't. This is li- oh, no, this not is City of Glass, the New York trilogy. Which City of Glass is one of the is one no, of them no, no, oh, yeah, yeah, novellas yeah. in there? Yeah. yeah, they're all really short. And then I read the Book of Illusions, and I both, I love both of those so much. And I think the New York trilogy is like his most critically acclaimed best book. Um, so I've read two books that I really loved. I gave Moon Palace like a super high score, but I kind of regret. I think we hadn't, we, were we weren't back. fully calibrated yet. Yeah. We were young so, and ideal. Um, <laughs> so this is my, the fourth book by Paul Oster. I just wanted to give him a shot because I like his writing and yeah. He's, I feel like Paul Oster, this is also my fourth Paul Oster book. Uh, I read the New York trilogy also. Moon Palace. Your fifth. Uh, what? Your fifth Paul Oster book? For, no, fourth. I count the New York trilogy as one thing. I, those are it's, yeah, it's, it's one. I don't know. I know people separate them out. I know, and I think you can probably. I mean, I don't know. I guess you can buy them separately. I don't know, but uh, I just count it as one thing because they're all short. It's they're you know they're all they're so short. Books. I mean, yeah. the whole the whole, the whole thing trilogy is like, is like two, shorter less than, than three hundred pages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I just count the New York trilogy as one thing. So I've read that. I've read. Um, Obviously, Moon Palace, which we did this now, and then I read um, earlier this year in January. Uh, I think it was like my first book of the year. Actually, I read um, The Music of Chance, which is another one of his books that they made into a movie. Actually, that I didn't know, and it had really yeah. I think it. I think it had fucking um, what's his name? Uh, oh god, I'm so mad that I can't remember his name. It's he's. Should we just say actors' names? Yeah, Bradley Cooper. Yeah. No. <laughs> James Spader, James Spader, James Spader, okay. uh, James Spader, and Mandy Patinkin played the what? two the two main characters in that. That's a, I genuinely love both of those actors. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I don't know who either of them are. Oh, um, James Spader, I know. Okay, yeah, yeah. James Spader, coincidentally, in Crash, the adaptation of the J.G. Ballard book, too. Was he? Yeah, that's interesting. Um. Yeah, I mean, it surprises cool, me that. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I out. But yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. So anyway, long story short, this is my this is my fourth Paul Oster book. So Matt, this will just be your second. Big gulps, huh? Well, see you later. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is my second. Yeah. I, yes. Paul Oster is definitely one of these like names. Like, uh, for a while there, it, like when I was in college and stuff, and like especially when I lived in New York City in my, like, early 20s, like, he was one of these guys that was, like, is like oh, cool New York City mm-hmm. guy. And and, and yeah. I always lumped him in with people like Jonathan Latham uh, and Michael Chabon, you know? Like, uh, they're all writing kind of these, like, weird... Is that it? I always said it. I always said it. Habon. Chabon? <laughs> Hamon. I said Habon. Ha- Hamon. <laughs> I don't know. Chabon, Chabon, yeah, I don't whatever. know. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, well, actually, not for whatever reason. Like, I, I actually still think this is this is a bit of a spoiler to my opinion. But like, um, yeah, I was always somewhat uh, 
cool on these on these authors. He he's too famous for you, man. That's what you're trying to say. He's yeah. too much of a big name. He's won too many awards. He's not, not cool hipster enough. enough. Yeah, honestly, no. true. Honestly, too many yeah. people like something. I know what you're trying to say. Something's wrong. Paul, I don't know if you forgot, but last episode, Matt picked like the second most popular book of all time. Basically. Of all time. So, in the English speaking yeah. world. So, what do I need to pick the Bible next? You want to yeah. read that? <laughs> no, I'm no. You like it because his name's Paul. That's why you like this book. That is very true, actually. <laughs> There's a connection there that it's indescribable. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, no, we can't, can't really understand. Describe, I, no one can understand it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree i mean it is i do think it's true what matt was saying that he he's just a, one of these guys he's written a shitload like a mm-hmm. ton yeah, yeah. of novels but he he's never has the he definitely doesn't get the the respect he doesn't have the gravitas of you know like your i don't know some of the other popular f- figures in kind of you know quote unquote like good books for people for good people well, here, here, here's. <laughs> I mean, here's, I guess maybe in like literary circles that I'm not incredibly familiar with, but I mean, Discord. I guess he borders on that on that his, hipstery line, but he well, does like dive not, into the. It's I would, not even that he's hipster. He just I don't know. You he, you never see him on the, those with like you know Don DeLillo, who this book is dedicated to, by the way, which I think yeah, is interesting, interesting, and we can talk about. Well, because because. Uh, I'm pretty sure Donnie D. I'm pretty sure Donnie D. Uh, dude. <laughs> I'm pretty sure White Noise is dedicated to Paul Auster. Is that right? Sounds like they might have well, kissed. Before one of his books is both of the books. one of his one of his big. Books I hope is, so. And I think it's White Noise. I feel like Paul Auster. He's not like unsung, right? Like his books have always been in print. He's, I think, fairly popular. He seems to occupy that space, honestly. That like Murakami kind of occupies yeah, yeah. in my opinion of, of yeah i think that's a good comparison of being like readable but you know i don't know just like uh respected and i think rightly so um but not, but it's, that, it's, but not it, that much respected it, it's not like fucking finnegan's wake <laughs> or something where you're like oh my god you know uh yeah well or like, like i said ins- or even even delillo or somebody you're right yeah but yeah you're right this book was dedicated to delillo which you know, since that's coming right at you right before you even start the thing, was sitting and looming large in my head mm-hmm. the whole time because I've I've not read like a massive amount of Delillo, but like my initial my immediate thought was just this is uh this is like a post underworld doff of the cap to Delillo, it felt to me. Mm. Like another sort of like New York City dominating kind of like book uh sort of in in some ways engaging with like the synchronicities of history and like trying to create larger narratives I, I, out I, of that i i was reading a little bit uh a couple essays about this novel and apparently that well, we can come back to this after paul gives the plot summary but apparently there are some like you know more explicit kind of parallels and or nods to um mao too which is another oh. novel which I have not read, so I can't speak to in too much detail. But um, yeah, interesting. Anyway, what what what's this book all about, Paul? All right, I'm gonna start reading it. We're just gonna read the whole <laughs> novel for you, people. No. Surprise! <laughs> this is about um, a guy. I f- does a, does a narrator get a name? I actually forgot. yeah, Peter he Aaron. Does. Peter. Okay. Same initials as Paul Auster. There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah, which is yes. actually really pretty typical of Paul Auster, I would yep. say. 
Um, but this guy, Peter, he discovers early on that um, his friend Benjamin Sachs uh, blew himself up or got blown up. And the FBI come to his house and it's kind of like a, uh, a reflection on their friendship. It goes back in time, deals with like the the spawn of their friendship, goes through in very apparent detail, like harsh detail about their love lives and um, there ends up being like... Sexy time. Uh, you know, affairs and all this shit and... Um, Sax ha- ends up having like a an accident that makes him re- rethink his life, and then he ends up kind of going crazy and becoming the Unabomber type personality guy. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's I, have, I have a I have a bad knack of going into too much detail. So let me just I'm just gonna say that. No, I think we that's good with that. Yeah, to keep it brief. It, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's basically Peter Aaron. Because when the FBI, I think this is the one thing that I would say is important that you missed at the beginning there, Paul, or didn't say, is that the FBI doesn't know that it was Sachs who was blown up at the beginning of the novel because he was just vaporized by a bomb on a a road in Wisconsin. And Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Aaron's phone number was found written on a piece of paper in in the guy's wallet, which somehow survived uh and the physical body didn't whatever that's okay um but uh uh so that's how the fbi gets in touch with aaron and he kind of realizes that it must be this guy ben Sachs. and so the book is aaron writing a book kind of about Sachs and his Sachs's life and it sort of turns out that the the book within the book is also called leviathan and that was the novel Sachs was working on sort of before he went off the grid and started doing his terrorism activities. And so Aaron is just kind of retelling what he understands about Sax's life and, and how he got to the point that he did by the end. It's almost like a secondhand confessional sort of biography um, made under extreme duress before any sort of legal action can be taken into like... But there are... Yeah. Yeah. There's also just like very uh, liberal fictional elements like switching um the the point of view a lot it, it, you know it's not like a journal entry of what happened it's like very fictional like you, you'll see the story from like a bunch of different characters perspectives that is obviously fictionalized so it's like it is i don't know this is this comes into the question of like when you when you google paul oster one thing that comes up is like paul oster probably the most well-known uh postmodern American author, mm. and I guess we people can talk love about the that, word but. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, I think it's just, like it just is shorthand a lot of the time, right? For like fiction that is employing awareness of itself as writing, yeah. you know, yeah. which this book is about. Like, it's part of this book, um, you know, and that's not untrue, but it's also like a flippant use of postmodernism. I would say a lot of the time. It's, yeah, it's just so a little, a little uh, imprecise, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would because, say so. but, but Paul, you're right. Like, uh, that was one thing that was throwing up a big question mark in my brain. Was like that whole thing of of Aaron, right? He's the one supposedly writing this uh, detailed account of Ben Sachs's life to the best of his knowledge, but the best of his knowledge could never include some of what he's been writing. Mm-hmm. 
So, it, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It does throw up the question, like, how did he know about, like, fucking certain conversations that, uh, you know, for instance, Ben had with Lillian uh, or yeah. something like or that? Like you know, daily, it's like, like the very detailed daily activities they had. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Ben didn't Especially have journals when find out, and yeah. certain characters didn't talk to Aaron uh, by mm-hmm. his own confession. So, yeah, it's and it was unclear. A, it, it was an interesting sort of like... Um, you know, yeah, device, I suppose, because early on in the book and various times throughout, Aaron is sort of like, this is all just going to be the facts that I know, no embellishment, no speculation. And there's embellishment and speculation just rampant <laughs> throughout the throughout the text. Right. So it's like an interesting yeah. kind of performative contradiction on the part of Aaron in the process of writing the book. And, I, I you know, uh, I, I, I think certainly a lot of it is it, it gets to one of the central themes of the book for me, which is like, what what can you ever really know about another person or another person's life? Like how how intimately can you understand another uh, human being without sort of, you know, actually being them yourself? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in, in that way, I mean, maybe the book that this reminded me the most of, at least that we've read on the podcast, is The Real Life of Sebastian Knight. Right. Which is a similar story where it's someone trying to reconstruct the life of a another person and running into the sorts of the various sorts of difficulties involved in that but but even 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 the concerns of like the confidence man was something i thought of right because we're still contending with the you know the problem of other minds now so it's like Mm -hmm. definitely something else that was also more or less addressed in the book too right like yeah yeah i was thinking a lot of moon palace by paul oster (laughs) (laughs) how so for real though how so no i wasn't actually (laughs) (laughs) no i think that um one of the strengths of this book though is like that the highly personal nature of being in a relationship like I, i think that this one touched on like uh a maybe a different side of Paul Oster that I've read before is just like the issue of relationships and marriage and secrets and mm-hmm. the perception of, of another couple that you think is like, you know, entirely fine. But then you, if you're friends with them, like you end up finding weird secrets out about them. And, um, so yeah, I was kind of I I I like that a lot about this novel. Is just like it, it did seem like a different side of Paul Oster that I haven't seen. A little more like a little per- more personal and relatable, I guess. I feel like than, this is from what I've read at least. This is by a pretty wide margin his most like the closest he gets to just like straight realism. Like there's because mm-hmm. the New York trilogy is very weird and a lot of stuff in that those stories doesn't make sense couldn't really sort of happen or is otherwise kind of strange um moon palace was was a little was definitely i think weirder than this book if not flatly fantastical um and then like the the music of chance which is the only other one i i read also had some very weird um moments a fun little detail we've talked and maybe we should talk more about auster's kind of like i don't know what you would call it but the the way he inserts himself and the characters are sort of based on his own person and 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 whatnot like i think the what 
uh, Aaron's wife in this novel is uh, Iris, and Paul Auster's real wife's name is Siri, so it's just backwards. Um, uh-huh. That kind of thing. Uh, but one interesting connection uh, that I found is that in the beginning of the story, when Aaron is relating the, how he met Sax, um, which is a cool story that we can talk about when we get into more detail, they meet at um, Nash's Tavern. And Nash is the name of the main character in The Music of Chance. Oh, okay. So maybe he was the bartender. Ooh. Unified, expanded universe. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's also a mention of, like, maybe a title of a book or something, but he uses the word Luna while describing, I think it was a book. And it made me think of Moon Palace. I think that's the title. I think that's another one. I think Luna is the title of a book in this novel, which is definitely Moon Palace. Yeah, because yeah, Aaron, Aaron is a novelist. Right. To mm-hmm. extend that even further, that it's just Paul Auster. But yeah, Aaron is and a novelist. And so is Sachs, yeah, which is another like biographical meta thing that Paul Auster does. He writes a lot about, like, it's, it almost feels like he's writing about his own personal writing process in some aspects in his own life. Just, mostly because of what I've learned about him through interviews and stuff. Is He's like a kind of a secluded person and... Um, he, like the descriptions he writes about Peter writing or about Sachs writing is like kind of what I assume he his process is just like diving. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's a lot of writers, but it, it seems like Paul Oster does try to reflect himself in the work a lot in that way. Yeah, I think. I think he's interested in the question of like in this one, story in particular, uh the 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 big question is right like what do we know about people and what constitutes like the official story like this book this novel is a unofficial account that's trying to get as close as possible to the last official story of the fictional character Ben Socks Sachs whatever uh but then like of course the content of that unofficial final account of Ben Sachs is filled with these uh revelations about different people over you know decades of time knowing them that completely like 180 and upend (laughs) and invert prior you know understandings of who these people were uh you know as friends as lovers as whatever you know it's like the the novel is 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 very preoccupied with it seems to me like that kind of thing and it's and it's very explicitly trying to like preempt the more official narrative that's going to get told by the FBI right. once they once they crack the case, which spoiler alert they do at the end, um, sort but, of sort of with Peter Aaron's un, unwitting help. But the yeah. funny thing about that though is that like Peter, I mean, you kind of assume he gets arrested, then he gives the he like shows the book to Worthy, which actually kind of reminded me of a name of There's uh, Worthy and Harris are the two agents, yeah, right? I think Detective, it's Harris. At the end. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not exactly okay. sure. But I thought the name Worthy was kind of a callback to the last book we read. Was it just like <laughs> name your cop <laughs> Worthy, Mister Worthy of Forgiveness? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he 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 gives the manuscript. He gives the book that he just writ wrote with. <laughs> I should not be on a literary podcast. Yeah, let's go. This is proof. Nah, the dude, proof just, just keeps adding up. Um. But yeah, he give he gives the manuscript to the police, the FBI agent, and it's just like, and then I handed him the book, 
and that was it. It's a, it makes me. I was like, wh- what the fuck? Are we supposed to believe that the FBI agent like published this book? You know, but that uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know. What to I think, think about, I think it's that. sort of a little bit maybe like uh, the a sort of circle, like a closed circle. Like sometimes this happens where it's like, and then we begin it again. You know, like mm. yeah, time is time is a closed fucking loop. Whatever. You know, like welcome back to the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, and I think that fits with Auster's kind of he's he's on record as saying like all of his books are just one book and. So, really? yeah, yeah, you know, uh, which I think is just a way of saying that they're all kind of preoccupied with the same things. You know, he has he has like a, a handful of themes that I think he ha- really hammers on in, in almost every book. Um, and that's true in this book for sure. Uh, but, you know, I also think it fits into some of these kind of you know, referential, whatever, metatextual things where he's. He is a character in a lot of his books. His books refer to each other in a lot of in ways, like little ways, like the Nash's Tavern thing, uh, that that sort of thing. So I think that definitely fits. And I mean, like even the plot of this book is is very similar, you know, not the plot per se, but like the the idea of one person trying to piece together someone else's life after they've died, I think, or after they've disappeared. It's very similar to the plot of um, The Locked Room, which is one of the novellas in the New York trilogy. Hmm. There's also like the uh I found this more in Moon Palace in this one in particular but there's like the issue the like there's a there's a lot of coincidences that seem to be over the top. I mean definitely in Moon Palace but there's one in particular in this book that was just like to, I don't Which know, one? maybe my own personal um <clears throat> just what when uh read uh DiMaggio Ends up being yeah. Maria's, yes, um, friend's, friends' husband. Yeah. yeah, that kind of I don't know. It just kind of took me out of it. It felt a little bit like pulpy. So we should probably moment, like, we should probably explain what what's going on there, right? So yeah, we probably should. So <laughs> Ben Sachs, after he has a he falls off of a fire escape in New York City on the centennial anniversary of the Statue of Liberty, um, and he sort of is in a hospital bed and and won't speak to anyone for weeks. Uh, and he's only saved from death by a, a, a clothesline that he happens to, f- another coincidence, right? Uh, or another, another sort of chance occurrence. Um, and he blames himself because he thinks he was like flirting with this woman, this artist, who's another character, Maria, uh, what's her name? Maria um, Turner? Turner. And uh, so he sort of blames himself and he basically quits writing. And then he's eventually convinced after wrangling uh, to start writing another book. He goes up to this cabin and then he decides to take a walk in the woods, gets lost, gets picked up by this young guy who's like a softball player. They stumble upon this other guy in the woods and uh, the other guy shoots the guy that is with Ben and then Ben kills him with the baseball bat. And Yeah, there's a murder. Is a murder. <laughs> ben, ben accidentally kills, not accidentally, but by, by in you know circumstantial chance winds up killing yep. a guy. And that guy turns out to be Reed DiMaggio, who is a sort of environmental kind of terrorist, radical type guy. Yes. And Ben, uh, after finding out that Reed DiMaggio's wife is the friend of Maria Turner, goes to her. Her name's Lillian. And they sort of develop a relationship. And then ultimately, Ben kind of decides to take over Reed's life work and starts bombing 
replicas of the Statue of, the, of Liberty. Right. Yes. And again, to, to, to weave the web, uh, Lillian was the, I think, like, high school or college friend of Maria Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria Who Turner... also knew Peter. Right, and Maria Turner was uh, someone who Peter Aaron was sort of like romantically involved with for a long time between the dissolution of his first marriage and uh, his meeting Iris, his right. second wife. And, uh, yes. and Maria's like a photographer slash kind of Con- weird... Conceptual s- artist. Like Cindy Sherman, like cipher person who like uh, yeah, yeah wants to like inhabit. She's 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 interesting in and of herself. Some of her some yeah. of some of her yeah. We should maybe we should save talking about her too much detail for the Patreon because she's she's not a minor character, but she's I think there's a lot there. But yeah. uh, I will just say some of her art projects to give you a sense reminded me of James in- some of James Incandenza's projects in Infinite Jest. Like very, uh, you know, like she does one where she just hires a private investigator to follow her around all the time and she doesn't know when or where or whatever. And then she just reads the reports like she doesn't put them in a into a like piece or anything. That's just the whole it's just, you know, it's like performance art or it's like, um, you know, the, the people I forget the, the name of the but they did like the happenings and stuff in the in the 60s and whatnot. The situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, yeah. or no, no, no. The, the L- LSD people. No, I'm thinking of like uh, Alan Kaprow and like you know some of these people. I forget if they had like. Um... Anyway, but yeah, because it makes me it makes me think of the the most photographed barn in the world in white white noise, I believe. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is just famous for being photographed the most, and it, it's a feedback loop where like people photograph it because it's the most photographed barn in the world, and that keeps it being the most photographed barn in the world. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think that um, there's so much to like to talk about with Maria, but there's so, there's so much to talk about with all the characters because Oster really just like he dives so hard and so deep mm-hmm. into like just talking about a person and what they're like and yes, uh, like every single character in the book, you you just like have such a fucking well-rounded viewpoint of what that person is. It can kind of like almost drag on a bit because it's just like. It's so much. It's like almost relentless. Well, uh, yeah, you can feel him like launch into like, be like, you'll hear the, a name for the first time, and then it, it'll just you'll just hear him launch into the here we go, bio yeah. of the next person. You're like, this is going to be thirty pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, and it is. Yeah, and it is. Yeah. Well, I, but I mean, before maybe I just because we I don't want to lose the point before we move on to the characterizations and stuff. I did want to talk about this idea of these coincidences and these chance happenings a little bit more because I think that this is this is one of Auster's obsessions. Like I'm comfortable calling it that. Like it, he writes about it in yes. basically every book. Uh, every book has some um, uh, sort of. You know, like he has the whole book called The Music of Chance. And I feel like that's just kind of describes his entire orientation. Like he's really concerned yeah. with, you know, it'd be easy to read a book like this and see something like Paul mentioned, like, oh, the guy that Ben Sachs kills is a itinerant terrorist husband of Maria's friend. And da 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 da, you know, like it's and be like and kind of roll your eyes and be like, oh, that's, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. 
weird kind of con- plot contrivance, right? That that would be the that would be the the cinema sins take on it. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but this is a thematic concern for Oster, I think, because among other things, he's deeply concerned with the ways in which circumstance and chance and um, you know random confluence shape who we are to the point that you know i think it's really a question about like free will for him right how much do we actually control our lives how much do we actually control our own sort of selfhoods um and i you know sort of think sometimes he feels the answer to that question is not all that much because we are shaped by all of these seemingly minor random chance occurrences and and you know synchronicities um and so i i think it's a lot more than a, a Cinema Sin's plot contrivance. Can I read a, a sort of description of Socks Sachs, sorry, I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking of Oliver Sachs. Uh yeah, which I think is sort of semi describing what you're talking about because I think Sachs is like a uh the kind of manic you know, uh worst tendencies, alter ego of the Aaron, whatever, you know, character, like the Paul Oster insert. Um, and it just goes, uh, Sachs loved these ironies, the vast follies and contradictions of history, the way in which facts were constantly turning themselves on their head. By gorging himself on, himself on those facts, he was able to read the world as though it were a work of the imagination, turning documented events into literary symbols, tropes that pointed to some dark, complex pattern embedded in the real. I could never be quite sure how seriously he took this game, but he played it often, and at times it was almost as if he were unable to stop himself. I think that's a great passage for describing Ben and and Auster's concerns here with Chance, because I think it, it speaks to, uh, yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the story, Ben is unable to escape the narratives that he himself has been like writing his whole life. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely like this sort of like Rashomon element to the story as well, where... In, in the attempt to sort of journalistically, right, like get these different perspectives by people who are close to Ben and flesh out his own conception of this guy who he thought, you know, if he were left to his own devices, preoccupied with his own family and problems, was like a sort of highly intelligent, if somewhat troubled, like happy-go-lucky man. <laughs> he, like he would have never expected this to happen. And then you get this... The only thing I could say is like a kind of uh, regular rhythm to the book also of like as soon as you're comfortable with uh, a status quo, as soon as anyone's comfortable in general with like a uh, a rhythm to their life that makes a kind of sense that they uh, can sort of settle into, there's a 180 that occurs. Or some, yeah, some shattering event. And I mean, I, I think that phrase that was in that passage you just read, and I have another one I re- want to read kind of on the same point. Um, the, the I forget exactly what it was, but something about the dark pattern in reality. Yeah, I think that that that's really what Auster is after when he, with all of these sort of his interest in chance occurrences and accidents and the random, Leviathan. Yeah, the Leviathan, which is well, we could talk about like a, what it it's is. It's like a chaos monster, right? It's a it's a in the it's a Jordan Peterson would hate it. Yeah, it's uh, this thing that <laughs> you have to slay your Leviathan. It's yes, a, it's a biblical monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but but Auster is concerned. And this is why, OK, maybe this is getting a little too like, 
literary theory with it. But this is why I feel like it's we, I don't necessarily agree with calling Auster a postmodern author because in postmodern like in postmodernism they're certainly concerned with sort of the the chance and and the arbitrary nature of modern life and that sort of thing in general. But for the postmodernists, what arbitrariness and sort of contingency are about are about the dissolution of structure, about the dissolution of in, you know patterns that allow us to interpret the world reliably and things like that. What Auster is looking for is a way to interpret contingency an accident in a way that is pattern giving and meaning giving. And I think that at the end of the, the day, even Sachs, all of these, you know, his whole arc is that all of these accidental occurrences going back to his first trip to the Statue of Liberty and his subsequent falling off of the, 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 the balcony on the Statue of Liberty's anniversary, you know, the post, like if you're really postmodern, you say the random occurrences, no, no meaning to be found. But, they, but we do find meaning in them as people, right? And we find these patterns, whether they objectively exist or not. Um, and I, so I think that Auster is, is interested in that topic, but not in a way that would signal to me any sort of like postmodern philosophical commitments, if that makes sense. Yeah, nothing other than being sort of the inheritor of like contemporary thought, right? Which is influenced by postmodern thinking yeah i mean so okay so here's the passage i was thinking of that maybe that made me sort of think of this a little bit and this is describing Sachs's accident um in other words even if Sachs seemed to be doing more or less well just then even if he was only dimly aware of his own distress during the months and years preceding that night i am convinced that he was in a very bad way i have no proof to offer in support of this statement except the proof of hindsight most men would have considered themselves lucky to have lived through what happened to Sachs that evening and then shrugged it off, but Sachs didn't, and the fact that he didn't, or more precisely, the fact that he couldn't, suggests that the accident did not change him so much as make visible what had previously been hidden. If I'm wrong about this, then everything I've written so far is rubbish, a heap of irrelevant musings. Perhaps ben, Ben's life did break in two that night, dividing into a distinct before and after, in which case everything from before can be struck from the record. But if that's true, it would mean that human behavior makes no sense. It would mean that nothing can ever be understood about anything. Doesn't he go on to say that, like, um, Sack's reaction, he, he, he could have had, like, a thousand different reactions to, to his accident. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, an infinite amount, right? Yeah, and I think that, but you know, I think what that speaks to, that passage speaks to also is, like, this idea that the, the, the rupture, the sort of, you, you know, cataclysmic moment is, for Auster at least, part of a some sort of pattern, right? Some sort of story to be told, some yeah. sort of narrative. It's not just an, a random, you know, a random, um, you know, before and after moment where, because as he says, right, if it really is that, if it really is a full break, then everything that comes before should just be thrown out the window anyway because you're basically just starting life over again and there's no there's no interpretation to be done there but these these ruptures feel to me like at least in Auster's uh investigation of them a a a point of uh kind of expectation meeting reality and therefore like reality being disclosed briefly Right. Mm -hmm. Like 
this is where maybe uh, where I'm completely contradicted, I'll be able to see where my expectations met the reality of the situation and how I was so horribly wrong about what was going on and how that might inform me as to, you know, a, a, a portion of reality or reality for a brief flash was actually like there for me to, uh, to witness. Yeah. And I think when Ben talks about describing his feelings during the, the fall, when he's, he's describes in detail his, I mean, he literally goes through a fall. Subje- yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, yeah. Like the fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he describes in detail his sort of mental state, and I think it's that's of a of a piece with what you're saying, Matt, for sure. Although the you know the the brutal reality of of that actual mental rupture meeting a cataclysmic and traumatic experience is one of 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 banal, just kind of like horniness, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, uh, yeah. You mean what led up to it? Yeah, like the the the, and okay, can I read another passage that has to do with Maria? Because Maria's ultimately the cataclysmic other person involving that that kind of, in a way, physically, literally started the fall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, the cataclysmic cataclysmic catalyst. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just just uh, uh, just on this on the before you read it, just on this on yeah. this thing because it's it's uh, it, you know we're, it's in the moment, but. Um, Ben afterwards treats his his feelings towards Maria again not as like this ordinary human failing I'm horny but like as this and and yeah right and yeah Peter tries to talk to him about it and be like dude you were you like we're looking at uh, her legs in a skirt like it's not that deep and but yeah but well, Ben this, yeah. but Ben treats it as like this seed in him of the cataclysm that was there the whole time basically right right. Yeah. He is of sin, Paul Bunyan. True. <laughs> we got to stop. People- <laughs> Every book is a sequel to another book. No, I don't I care. No, no, no. I mean, I just mean people aren't going to know who we're talking about. John Bunyan, the last book that we read. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, before I was making a joke, and now I actually said it by accident. Fuck. Oh, did you really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I corrected it then. All right, sorry. Read. You got Paul on the mind, don't you? I do. It's tough. There's too many Pauls around me. Yeah, well, I think there's not enough. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> All right, All right read, read the later. damn passage. Well, did you want us to actually say something, Paul, before? No. Okay. Not, no. Read. So, all right. <laughs> and this is about Maria hiring the private detective, right, as we mentioned before, and, like, you know, as part of an, an art project, uh... In one work, she hired a private detective to follow her around the city. For several days, this man took pictures of her as she went about her about her rounds, recording her movements in a small notebook, omitting nothing from the account, not even the most banal and transitory events. Crossing the street, buying a newspaper, stopping for a cup of coffee. It was completely artif- it was a completely artificial exercise, and yet Maria found it thrilling that anyone should take such an active interest in her, even though she hired him to do it. Uh Microscopic actions became fraught with new meaning. The driest routines were charged with uncommon emotion. And again, I feel like this is what's happened now with with Ben. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, not that deep, but it can be, and it was for this guy. Right, yeah, exactly. And uh, again, it's somebody, you know, uh, narrativizing and 
in injecting meaning into events and that being real enough. Well, and I think it, right, yeah, exactly. And I think it's this it's this interplay between for for both the characters in the story for you know maybe Ben specifically, but also for Oster, it's this interplay between contingency or the appearance of contingency and a deeper underlying necessity, right? So for for Ben, all of these things are sort of you know necessary. They're part of a pattern that's playing out over time. And it's, you know, he's just hasn't been able to see the full picture yet, or at least in his mind until the end. Um, so these things that appear to be just kind of random accidents that someone like Peter tries to write off as like, dude, you were just a little drunk and, and a little horny or, you know, the, whatever. For Ben are these deep um, wellsprings of uh, reality and truth and necessity. Yeah. Or signals thereof. <clears throat> I did want to point out, too, that uh, Paul Oster's middle name is Benjamin. See, there, yeah, there's another one. I didn't even know there that. You go. Damn, that's a yeah. good pull, actually. That's really good. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I, maybe I look at it from a different perspective, but I, I remember bringing up in the Moon Palace episode that I, I thought that, like, Oster's viewpoint was kind of like, like the shame-based narratives in that book kind of coalesced with with the shame based narratives in this one that comes down to like, I think a level of religious shame almost, um, that possibly Oster is dealing with, or at least talking with talking about just, I don't know. There's like an element of Ben that, um, after his accident in particular, like he realizes that he, he just can't live up to the, uh, the morally perfect human being that he he wants to be or thinks he should be. And then I, I think Peter is like the other side of Auster. I'm just speculating. That is just like, it's it's just a girl in a skirt. Like, you can look at that. Like, it's okay. You don't have to kill yourself. You know, and I, I just feel like there's this internal struggle that comes across as like uh, uh, emotionally artistic to me that I feel like Paul Auster... Well, I mean, and, and well. Ben, Ben, like basically literally takes a vow of silence after the, he falls for like, uh, like a in month. the hospital. Yeah, yeah. 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 Radical quietism for Ben. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. and Peter's not uh, like, whoa, uh, <laughs> I, I, I keep forgetting that my microwave, my microwave can hear. Him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not like I a paranoid schizophrenic. Gotta, <laughs> <laughs> he Peter. Peter's not like. Mr. Mr. Rogers, you know, he's not he's not like no, no wholesome as fuck. He uh, we've we haven't mentioned that. He ben, for wife. instance, Ben has yeah. a wife named Fanny, Franny, Fanny, Fanny. Fanny. Fanny, Fanny, uh, Fanny, which is why, you know, uh, yeah, uh, which is why that uh, he feels so bad um, about sort of f- actively engaging in flirtation with Maria at a, p- a party. Um, right. But that, uh, you know, uh, so uh, Aaron has sex with Fanny at some point. Aaron For is like three weeks straight because because yeah, uh, uh, Sax is like on vacation or somewhere. He's he's um he's In he's California. He's consulting on a uh, uh, film adaptation or stage play of I forget his which, first novel of his first novel, which is called The New Colossus. Yeah. Uh, in San Francisco. Which wasn't uh, that a term for the Statue of Liberty when it was first being built? 
because it was that, re- because it was a reference to the Colossus of Rhodes, right? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty maybe sure. that could be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, which that whole affair, uh, you know, also you know, Aaron was post divorce, right? He's got a, a son, David, and uh, so he's not he's not like. Yeah, he's not like a, a wholesome, completely flawless individual by any means. Yeah. In, no, he's in, pretty chat, in relation though. to Ben. Yeah, the, the New Colossus, by the way, is the name of that. It's the Emma Lazarus poem that's on the Statue of Liberty, the one about the oh. bring us your your tired tired huddled masses or whatever. Your poor, your yeah, huddled masses. Yeah, yeah. that's the name of that poem. Okay, okay, yeah, that has to be a direct reference. Yeah. Um, but. The whole reason for that affair, again, I thought, I, which I thought was important, was that like, um, there's that there's that whole debate about Ben's infidelity prior, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as and, as understood by Fanny, which might not even be yeah. real, right? which might not be real, uh, and, he and plays into but, it. But, but then yeah. it was also like a sex yes. thing for them yeah. or something, right? Yeah, it's like. You know, either Ben, like Ben, may or may not have had affairs. It's never resolved, and 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 Ben's like conclusion about Fanny and her suspicions of him is that he may as well have. So why not tell her that they're true? So yeah. <laughs> I mean, like an well, absolutely diabolically weird, which which yeah. she also likes, but then can't get out of her head after the fact. Right. It seems yeah. like it's not clear whether or not that it's like an expedient to like quell her in some way, but ultimately fuck her up. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I would say it fucked her up more than it actually helps. Yeah, because um, she ends up like seducing Peter, who who has loved her since like college. That mm-hmm. does another you know detail about the plot is that like they L- Peter and Lillian were in college together and Peter just like Fanny loved her. And Fanny, she, she's Fanny, Peter and Fanny. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Fanny. And uh, so she kind of plays into that and like it's kind of unclear what her motives are exactly. But it kind of reminded me of like uh, True Detective a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, a little bit. I could see it. She's trying yeah. to even even the even the playing fields uh, for what she assumes are all the infractions that Ben has committed over the years right. uh, mm-hmm. since they were also like a, a young marriage, uh, like early twenties, I think yeah. um, they, they married each other. Yeah. So there's this, you know, there's also all this stuff that is created by what is a never resolved confusion. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron doesn't know what the truth is about this matter. Uh, and neither does Fanny or Ben. I don't think really. Right. <laughs> like, and it's the only it's thing that's clear of, is that Aaron and Fanny had sex, and that yeah. uh, you know that was a turning point as and well. And Sax knows about it. Like Fanny told him, and then they have yeah. like a confrontation in the coffee shop. That's not like a fight, I would say, but it's like a, well, a turning and, point and, in their friendship. And again, Sax sort of takes it as this. This was a necessity. This was an inevitability given everything that had come before. Like, I'm not even mad because it's this is just how how things had to go, essentially. Yeah. Kind of the first red flag, if I'm being honest. <laughs> True. You know, like... Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, you're going to have to wait to hear about the other red flags, folks, because we're already at near an hour. Um, and oh, uh, we wrap it up. I feel like we we've, just got into it. I feel like we've really <laughs> only scratched the surface genuinely because uh, I got to. It's mean, a Leviathan, folks. We, There's, we, it's huge. We, we got to talk about Emerson. We got to talk about Thoreau. We got to talk about Thomas Hobbes. We got to talk about Bakunin. Uh, yeah. Alexander Berkman and anarchism. We got to talk about Lillian and Ben's whole weird relationship with her. Um, so we are in a very real way just just getting started. Um, and if you want to hear the rest of this discussion, you can head on over to patreon.com slash spinecrackers where you can subscribe and hear all of the full episodes, which usually run to two and a half hours or more. Um for as little as two dollars a month and uh we'd really appreciate it you also get to join our discord which is popping shout outs to the discord always um and uh yeah so do that if you want to hear the rest of the discussion do yourself a flavor do yourself a flavor honestly literally like literally like what 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 else are you gonna do what (laughs) what buy a pack buy a pack of big red come on now yeah right buy a pack of big red instead of doing that Get some literary analysis. That's yeah. fun. Get made fun of by smart people. And get to join a fun, <laughs> a fun yeah. community of cool people. Um, yeah. All right. Anyway, so. We just <laughs> read another book. Yeah, we did. You're a wizard, Harry. And I'll, wait, Scrabble word first. Oh, we do that first uh, now? I don't okay. have one. I have one. I have one. Uh, okay, good for you. So th- yeah. Well, I've been I've been fucking up recently, so I'm trying to get, <laughs> get it yeah, in. I did. I didn't write. I didn't. All right, I, I have, have one. one. Um, mine. So this is a word you know that we uh, either didn't know or would be good for Scrabble or just kind of a cool word that was in the in the novel. <clears throat> mine. Uh, maybe this is a stupid one, but mine is Corolla. Uh. I knew it was a car, like Toyota Corolla. Yeah. And I guess probably in the back of my mind, I figured that it was a real word because, but you never know, like cars are... I'm all ears. I've never heard this. Yeah. And and so I knew, uh, obviously, like Corona, like light, and it's in the context of light. The Corollas of burning light is the phrase. And I was like, but that's not a Corona. It's different. That's like a that's like a, a thing that's in the sun, right? Like a halo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but a Corolla is the petals of a flower, typically forming a whorl within the sepals and enclosing the reproductive organs. So there you go. Whoa. Damn, Toyota. I know. That's a deep, what the deep, hell? deep cut for Toyota. <laughs> yeah, a little erotic, if I'm oh, being honest. Oh, definitely. Whorls? Big Reproductive Giorgio, Giorgio O'Keefe vibes. Yeah. The, the, Giorgio O'Keefe would love the Toyota Corolla. <laughs> uh, I'll read mine. It was a uh, mall. Like M-O-L-L. Mm, that's a good one. And okay. all it means is a gangster's female companion and or a prostitute. That's interesting. I wonder if it's like a... Uh, it's from Molly, maybe Molly or something. Which yeah, it's slang, and it's like a, it's like an, I think it's like 1920s slang, right? But it's cool. like, it's kind of like, I feel like ride or die bitch is kind of the best way to describe <laughs> it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's what's up. M O L L. I don't know. I don't know much about the the. Uh, I don't know much about Maul Flanders, the Defoe novel, but I wonder if there's mm. a connection there. Like, I don't know much about the plot of that. I've never read it. All right, Paul, did you find one or no? No. Okay. All right. Fine. All good. I did. I did have one when I first read, and it was like a good one, and I. I tried to look for it and I can't. I didn't. Find my, it. Mine, I mine, it. I didn't it's have fine. pencil at the time I was reading it. No problem, Paul. Minus ten points for Hufflepuff. Yeah. Um, what so you fuck, <laughs> fuck you and your energy. I'm quitting right now. Whoa, Hufflepuff's the color of your energy. <laughs> I thought that we had discussed on the Christmas episode that I was a Gryffindor. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I resent this. Here's this, a real. Uh, here's a real. Here's, okay. Well, here's a question for you, Paul. All would right. would a real Gryffindor get so triggered by someone mishousing them? Mishousing. <laughs> I think they would. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. Are you mishousing me? They've had pride in their uh, no, colors and their Gryffindor think, colors. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, okay, you're a squib and you suck. Question answered. Anyway, so uh, if I were to guess about how many magical powers you had, I would guess. Negative powers for your school. <laughs> what about that? Your Patronus is a boner. That sounds yeah, awesome. Sounds powerful. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Small. It's a chode boner. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. The people want to hear what Harry Potter houses would these characters be in? Um, let's start. Let's go with Aaron for it. Let's just go with the big dog. P- Peter Aaron. Uh, Gryffindor. Ah. Strong Gryffindor. Okay, why? I just I feel like he always kind of did the right thing for other people, but also for himself. Like, I, and I think the the situation with Lillian was like when just he had like, sex with his wife's friend with his friend's wife. Yeah, he was just, you know fucking. Sometimes you're in a weird situation, and you gotta you gotta follow your heart. And he was gonna tell Sax about what he did. Um. That, I think that situation is very Gryffindor. He felt bad about it, but it was like what he felt in his heart, and he did what he felt was right for him. Okay. But he was going to tell him about it. Okay, all right. I and also think that like him kind of protecting his friend Saks from the FBI, um, I found that. that to be Gryffindor and not True. like Hufflepuffy, like, like I'm just loyal to my friend. It was like it was that, but it was also like a brave act, you know. See, I was gonna say Hufflepuff for kind of the same reason that he's so loyal to to Sax, and he's doing this whole this whole book is about trying to tell Sax's story, uh, you know, so it doesn't get kind of marred or whatever by the FBI findings. So I get where you're coming from for sure. I'm sticking with Puff. I'm gonna go with Puff too. I feel like most of Aaron's quandaries are about who to be loyal to. And that's what See, is causing that, him pain. I find that is more true with sex. Well, let's talk about sex. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about sex, baby. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think sex yeah, is totally beholden to a lack of direction and he clings on to like his extravagant, weird personality in a very strange way. But I feel like he, he's way more lost than Peter is. And I, I just find him to be like, beholden to his his emotions and his shame in particular i just find him to be like very very hufflepuff i think sax is ravenclaw I, in, a, in a negative way too why are we even friends <laughs> <laughs> i think well, uh, well argued disagreement is the hard blood of progress 
<laughs> yeah, we're profitably discoursing. Yes, we are. Yeah, I well because I think socks, sacks, whatever uh, is uh, he's like um, I don't know. He's almost to that point of like, I have such an open mind that my brain falls out of my ear. True, kind of person. Like he he uh, he's almost he's ways he's like super affected by like the what it was it called the music of chance or the music you of know, chance yeah. Yeah, he is the creature who is most attuned to that thing, right? He's blown around by the winds of that. Uh, he's he's hearing the tunes of that. Like it's and it, and it overrides all it doesn't override rather all previous loyalties. It deeply pains Sax, but uh he's too curious about the new situation in which to learn some random fucking factoid about himself mm. that he, he just can't help himself as they say. Um, and so it feels very Ravenclaw in a destructive way. Yeah. I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think destructive Ravenclaw, he's like, a, he's like a Ravenclaw who's like really, really in their fucking feelings. Uh, yeah. In, in See, I would argue that he's not actually interested in anything except himself, though. Well, that would make it a Slytherin, wouldn't it? You said Puff. I would say like Hufflepuff because he's so fixated on like a greater idea of what he should be doing and what he should be following. I just don't really find him that curious. I feel like it's all a mask. Like when mm. he when he falls Could off be. the when he falls and he like has a realization about his life, it almost seems like he thought his whole life. It was was incre- he did he said that it was like all bullshit yeah like he wasn't actually in, like curious he was like trying to mask himself in the personality he developed i mean that's fair i just yeah. i feel like he's like uh gri- <laughs> or uh, he's ravenclaw but then there's like a you there's know darkness there's a slytherin at the in, in the in the press in the threshold or whatever the fuck yeah uh yeah I think he's demented. He's, he's like the raven carrying <laughs> the snake, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Is there anyone else? We didn't, he... we didn't get into detail about most of the other characters. I mean, we could do Maria. There are a number of characters. Like Paul said, you know, like all these characters have very fleshed out yeah. backgrounds, honestly. Yeah. Um, we should do all of them, but we're running out of time. Maybe uh, maybe in the Patreon we could do some of the lesser talked about characters yeah. at the beginning. Sure. Um. Including like basically every female character, yeah. Well, true, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you said something. Well, whatever. This is all going to come back. We, we, as we, as we've said, we've just started the conversation. Really, um, tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I think we'll we'll probably talk about Fanny, Lillian, Maria. Uh, um, yeah, because they, I think the the structural uh, roles they occupy for Peter and Sachs are really interesting, and the way that those dovetail and overlap and or you know complement each other um okay well, they're more important in the narrative than set or uh, than than aaron is oh no question as any kind of motivating force aaron is just the narrator is a conduit yeah 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 um all right well we'll talk about that maybe on the on the patreon segment we'll get into those characters more um final scores fam dibs not Oh yeah, Paul gets to go last. Crap. Oh, this is a tough one for me. I gotta say, I um, kind of didn't enjoy reading it. It's like just like in terms of an experience. At, at first, I was really hype. I was like, 
really interesting opening. This guy blows up on the on on a road. I, I know who it is. I'm gonna try to f- tell his life story and whatever whatever. Um, and I think that you know a, a lot of the the characters were really vivid. A lot of the um, you know descriptions of relationships I thought were just really subtle and and yeah. that, and, and that was something that Oscar really excelled at here. Uh, the other stuff I feel like a lot of the thematic stuff you kind of have to dig for a little more which is not a not a not a criticism by any means um but i don't know like i felt like and maybe this is just me with auster because i read the new york trilogy first and that book is very very strange it's all of those novellas are very strange and weird and that's what i loved about it and everything i've read of his since then has felt like i don't know a little more pedestrian by comparison um and and this included and i and i have to say i really just i really did not like how the book ended him just being like and then i wrote this book and the fbi agent came and i handed him this book (laughs) (laughs) and and that's the end i don't know it felt it just was a big kind of a wet fart moment for me um (laughs) and so that that's gonna knock my score down a bit i think talking about it and there's a lot more stuff to talk about as i've said has made me kind of see things that maybe i didn't see before um i don't know i'm stalling at this point but uh 3.37 nice yeah i i feel similarly and i i'm even less familiar with paul oster um Obviously, as always, the the nice hour long discussion broadens my perspective, and I see layers, and that always is just sort of like, as far as craft goes, I'm always like, all right, nice, you know. Yeah. I would I would have just breezed over some stuff had it not been for other input, which is why this is great. Uh, it's why we're the best literary podcast. On the best. No one touches us. Try it. That's right. Come for Just us. Just ask Sweden. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. The 31 other ones that beat us. Fuck you. We're coming. Uh, <laughs> or well, I forget where we stand. Uh, yeah. It, it, it didn't feel. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There was a whole lot of characterization. And there was much hay made about, you know, yeah, these, these synchronicities, these seemingly improbable events uh and how we can draw those connections to create a narrative um but ultimately what like felt the strongest was what gabe said uh just super well observed conversations and dynamics amongst friends and romantic partners basically you know like the most grounded banal stuff in a way it felt was the most interesting to me was the thing i enjoyed the most about this book uh and then, like the you know the so-called Leviathan, the the or narrative underneath that was swimming darkly, uh, and sort of driving all all thi- all things in this book. I I don't know, man. It just like I I, I didn't I didn't feel it uh, too strongly. It wasn't evoked for me by this story in particular. So I'm also gonna have to give it probably yeah I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a three point three. 
Nice. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the New York Trilogy so much. You know, I read it in college, and it was one of the – probably one of the first – it probably was the, the book that kicked off my interest in in reading, like, more seriously, I would say. Just Honestly, like, same. I've read it twice. Really? One of them, yeah. Yeah. And I, it's weird no because, small thing. like, he wrote that book – I think it was, like, his thir- second or third novel. It's, like, really early on in his career – um, and it almost seemed like he, he's he's tried to like reel it back. Every, like every book I've read since then has been like a little more subtle and has less like like less layers. And I think the New York trilogy works so well for me because it's like there's so many weird layers and it's just like toppling over you and like hitting you over the head. That I I, I feel like he's been trying like the books I've read since then have just been too subtle and too removed from that initial way that he wrote and it just uh, yeah there was something about it that like didn't work for me i wanted i wanted it to be like i wanted to like hit me over the face in a way in a way you know what i mean what are you laughing at matt you laughed at something i'm looking at this my personal girlfriend. life um, <laughs> yeah but i i mean i did really like the the characterizations a lot i feel like Oster just like understands people and I've always just loved his writing like there's an interview I watched with him where he talked about like what he tries to do in his writing style and what he likes about reading and he he talked about like how he likes reading a book that kind of feels like you're listening to music and he tries to evoke that in his writing and when I read when I when I heard that I was like that is how I like to read and that is how I read your books honestly I feel like he's just like so good at writing that it like flows with me it like resonates with me in like a weird deep level but i also would say that this i wanted some humor in this book i think that's one thing he lacks he's i want yeah. some fucking humor and maybe he's it's very because serious. Like, he's very serious maybe it's because i've been reading more books and i value that more than i used to but like yes it's so serious and there's some moments in this book where i was like should I laugh at that? Is that funny? It's kind of funny, but it's not like witty. So well, I was stuff like, like hey, for that. Sax is a funny guy, and then they just—that's just the description of Sax. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe it's you know we just read uh, like life, which is just full of funny, weird moments nestled yeah. into a very serious to very serious topics, and you know it's a good we've comparison. Read, We've read plenty of like funny books, or like books that have funny elements, and I I don't know. I just feel like it. it I I want that now. I need that. <laughs> so I was lacking in that. Hell yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. I I did enjoy reading it, but I didn't love it. I, I think I will forget about it pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna actually give it less a, a worse score than you guys. I'm gonna give it a th- solid three. Damn, nice. I, Hell yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> so, nice when we're all sort of in the same realm, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, folks. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, again, um, this we're just getting started with this discussion. Patreon.com slash Spinecrackers. All the full episodes. Bonus videos if you want it. Discord's popping off. Instagram, Come on. Facebook, Twitter, Spinecrackers Podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.